This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Okay, Agutamayit everyone, Ruchem We're going to speak about a, a subject this morning for those of you who woke up to Hashkama to, before, let's say, 11 a.m. To, and there are only, not even a minion of you, but the world stands on the uh, few Shvi Yishel Pesach is really the centerpiece not only of Pesach but of the entire year. The Al Shech HaKadosh says, the same way Shabbos is the most important day of the week, Shvi Yishel Pesach is the most important day of the year. Because just as Shabbos breathes and imbues Emunah into the whole week, Shvi Yishel Pesach imbues Emunah into the whole year. When the Yams have split, all the waters in the world split, and all of the world believes in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Alshech writes, what Shabbos is to the week, Shvi Shel Pesach is to the entire year. Now, very interestingly, Kriyas Yamsuf, although it happened to the Yamsuf, there are three incredible episodes of the splitting of a sea in Jewish history. And what we'd like to do this morning is to examine the difference between these three episodes. Of course, we're all familiar with Kriyas Yamsuf, Meshabenu, raised up his stick, and the water split, and Chazal say the Shvatim walked through different pathways. But that was not the only time a sea split in our history. Let's start with the Gemara Nechulen on Dav Zayin Amid Aleph. Rab Pinchas Ben Yoyer. Rab Pinchas Ben Yoyer was the son-in-law, according to the Gemara, of Rab Shimbar Yechai. But according to the Zoyar, he was the father-in-law of the Rashbi. Pinchas Ben Yoyer was going to do the mitzvah of Pidyan Shvuyim. And he had a problem, because he encountered a river, the Gemara says, Pagabe the Ginoi Naro. He encountered the river Ginoi. Amalei, so he talked to the river. Amalei Ginoi, Chaloi Klimi Mechav, Erevacha. Split! See, split! Amalei, he said, he said back to him, you know, because if you could talk to a sea, a sea could talk back to you. So the sea said back to him, Pinchas Banyar, Anansan, you're going to redeem a captive. Maybe you'll be successful, maybe you won't be successful. But my job is to flow. And I know for sure I will be successful. So you're a suffolk. I'm a vaday. Ain't suffolk moitzumi de vaday. So I'm not going to split. Says Rupinchas ben Yor, if you don't split, I'll dry you up forever. So she said, oh, okay. <laughs> then I'll split. And then Rupinchas ben Yor says, you know, while you're at it, there's a guy behind me who's carrying wheat for the carbon Pesach. Split for him again! And the sea said, oh, okay. You know, the sea didn't start up with him. He said, okay, I'll sit. There was an Arab accompaniment who was accompanying them. Rabbi said, you know, if you don't split for him, people are going to say, we don't take care of our uh, attendants. Split for him. And the sea split for Rabbi And then it split for the guy carrying the wheat. And then it split for the Arab. Says the Gemara... This man is greater than Moses. Veshit and Ribon, and 600,000 Jews. Moshe Rabbeinu can only split it once. Rabbeinu split it three times. That's the Gemara in Chulin. That Rabbeinchas Ben Yoyer is greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Very nice Gemara. The problem is, isn't one of the Yud Gimel Ikrim? <laughs> one of the 13 principles of the Rambam 
is Lekam Kamosha, nobody was ever as great as Moshe Rabbeinu. And how can the Gemara entertain the possibility that Pinchas Benyar was able to do what Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do? And let's just uh, explain this further. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to the Yam, and Moshe says, split, and what does the Yam do? The Yam does nothing. So Moshe says, come on, you know, uh, we're in big trouble here. We have, we have uh, millions of Egyptians chasing us, and uh, we've got to get out of here. We've got to get to the Promised Land, and the sea doesn't budge. So Moshe Rabbeinu, he pulls out everything from his arsenal. He, according to the Medrash, he showed the sea a Kalvachoymer. He showed the sea the coffin of Yosef. Nachshon ben Aminadav jumps into the sea. And who knows what happened when Nachshon ben Aminadav jumped into the sea? Nothing. Nothing happened. So Nachshon ben Aminadav says, uh, this didn't work. So he walks in. He's up to his knees. He's up to his waist. He's up to his neck. What happened when Nachshon ben Aminadav walked into the sea up to his neck? Nothing. Until he got to his nostril and he cried out, Hoshieni, kibo maimad nofesh. Then the sea split. So Moshe Rabbeinu had to put, pull every trick out of his bag. He had, a, he had standing there, you know, Yehoshua ben Nun, Kali ben Yifuneh. I mean, he got every, every tzaddik in his sea, Aaron HaKoyen, Elazar Nisamar, and the sea doesn't budge, and Anachim jumps in, only up to his nose. And Pinchas ben Yoyer, how easy was it for him? He said, split now, otherwise I dry you up. Okay, no problem. And then it's split for some guy carrying, uh, some guy named Bob carrying the Karim Pesach. And then it's split for some Arab. It's split for Mohammed. So Pinchas ben Yair was able to accomplish for Mohammed what Moshe Rabbeinu cannot accomplish for three million Jews. How could such a thing be? Says the Arachayim HaKadosh, the answer is very simple. God created something called nature. Nature runs by rules. The rules are water flows, gravity. You can't split water. And therefore, Moshe Ben had a very hard time splitting the sea because when God creates a world, He creates it according to the laws of nature. And the laws of nature do not want to be broken. They're programmed to follow the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. However, that was until the year 2448. And what happened in the year 2448? Vayered Hashem al Harsinai. God came down on the mountain and He gave the Torah to the Jewish people. And the Torah is the blueprint of creation. And therefore those who learn the Torah and those who master the Torah are given control over the universe. So Pinchas ben Yair was a master of the Torah. And as a master of the Torah, he held the keys of the universe. So Pinchas ben Yair came along and the sea said, I'm not splitting, God programmed me. And Pinchas ben Yair said, you know, this is is the master key. Split now, I'm in charge over here. So the sea said, what do you mean? I thought God's in charge. Pinchazaria, well, you got the wrong news bulletin. God came down on Sinai and He gave the document with which He controls the world to Tamid Chachamim. So now I'm in charge. Split now, otherwise I dry you up forever. Split for Bob and split for Muhammad. And it did. Because that's the way the world works. God gave over the keys of the universe to Tamid Chachamim. That's Arachayim HaKadosh, Parshas B'Shalach, Perk Yudah Apostle I once saw in a Sefer Oyo Moshe, Moshe Scheinerman, that he wants to say that based on this Arachayim HaKadosh, we can answer a simple question on the Ramban. The Ramban asks, you know, Avram Avinu had camels. Avram Avinu, Rashi says, muzzled the camels. Why did he muzzle the camels? So the camels shouldn't steal other people's grass. So asked the Ramban, why would the, ca- the camels of Avram Avinu steal other people's grass? You know, the donkeys of Pinchas ben Yoir. If you fed the donkeys, 
Hebrew national, the donkey wouldn't eat it. If you fed the donkey tevel, the donkey wouldn't eat it. The donkey was makbid on halacha. So how could it be that the camels of Amravi were not as frum as the donkey of Pinchas ben Yar? Pinchas ben Yar's donkeys were Zohir Nilchas Tevel. And the camels of Amravinu would need to be muzzled. Why would they need to be muzzled? Why would they steal? But according to Arachayim HaKadosh, the answer would be very simple. Amravinu lived before the Torah was given. Before the Torah was given, there are laws of nature. Camels are hungry. They see grass. They're going to eat it. After the Torah was given, the control of the universe has been handed down from the Rebbeinu to those who master the Torah. They then run the world. They, are, they have dominion over the world. And therefore the... The donkey of Pinchas ben Yar would actually be more supernatural than the camels of Avram Avinu. Say, it sounds heretical. So, the, so what? God doesn't run the world? No. Says Arachayim HaKadosh, the Pasuk says in Yeshaya, Koi Omar Boiracha Yaakov. Literally, so says your Creator, Yaakov. Read the Pasuk, Koi Omar Boiracha Yaakov. You know who the Creator is now? Yaakov Avinu, the Tzaddik, the Talmud Chacham. God gave over the reins of the world to the Tzaddikim. Says the Nefesh Achayim. You know what this is analogous to? This is analogous to the horses of Pharaoh's chariots. Now never try this at home. But we know Sher Hashirim is a love song between a groom, which is God, and a bride, Knesset Yisrael. And God says to the Jewish people, To the horses in Pharaoh's chariot, I liken you, my beloved. So God is saying, I love you so much, my bride. You're like a horse to me. Okay, don't try that at home. But let's try to understand what the Pasuk is saying. Like the horses and Paro's chariots, you are likened, my beloved. So the Nefesh Achayim says that we are the horse and God is the rider. Okay, great, that means God runs the world because the rider of the horse controls where the horse goes. Says the Nefesh Achayim, not always. Did who controlled the horse, Pharaoh or the horse? Chazal say, Paro said to the horse, Stop! Stop! The water was coming crashing down. Paro knew that going into the Amsav meant certain death. But the horse was running headlong into the sea. So it looked like Pharaoh's in charge. He's riding the horse. But in reality, the horse is in charge. Says in Efer Shachayim, It looks like God runs the world. But He gave it over to the Jewish people. We run the world. If there's corona, we cause corona. We cause God to bring corona. And if the economy is strong, God didn't make... We cause God to make it strong. And the economy is weak, we cause it to make... It looks like God is riding the heavens, but He's, he's not really. We're the horse, and we bring Him, if we empower Him by learning Torah and doing mitzvahs, like Him, we strengthen Him. When we don't do what we're supposed to do, then we weaken Hashem. You know, I'm, uh, I, I'm here as a guest, so I can say whatever I want. You know, people come to shul, they pull out their phone during davening. They're destroying the world. They're destroying the world. Here we come to Beis HaMikdash, we're praying, 
We're asking HaKadosh Baruch Hu to give us health. We're asking Him to give us sustenance. And the guy's saying that, I'm not really interested. I'd rather see some nonsensical message on my phone for my next month's Verizon bill. I mean, so we control the world. People say, oh, the world, God brought the world into chaos. No, we brought the world into chaos. That's how the, world, the way the world op- uh, operates. We're ma'minim b'nei ma'minim. We have a muna that God empowered us to, de- to decide and to control what happens in the world. Rav Shach writes that there are two psukim in the Chumash that it's awesome, it's stirring just to reflect for a moment the, the ramification that before the Medrash says, before the Torah was given, Vayal Moshe, U Moshe Allah El Ho'aloikim. Moses went up to God. After the Torah was given, what does the Pasuk say? Va'asuli Mikdash, V'shachanti B'saycham. Very simple psukim, we're very familiar with that. But think about the ramifications, says of Shach. Before the Torah was given, Moshe Allah went upstairs. The control boards, the keyboard is upstairs. It's all happening from upstairs. After the Torah was given, God, so to speak, says, I come down here. Because the control board, the controls, the master uh, power unit is you control the world. So that's step number one of the shir. Step number one of the shir is there's a clear difference between miracles before the Torah was given and after the Torah was given. Before the Torah was given, it's very hard to perform a miracle because God created nature and it's hard to break nature. So Moshe Rabbeinu has a hard time splitting the sea. After the Torah was given, so whoever knows the Torah, whoever masters the Torah, he controls the universe. But here's the main question today. And that is, there is a third time in history that, that a sea split between Moshe Rabbeinu splitting the Yamsuf and Pinchas Ben Yar splitting Nahar Ginoi, and that is in Sefer Yehoshua. In Sefer Yehoshua, Yehoshua Ben Nun came to the Yarden, and the Pasuk says, Kinoyach kapois hakoyhanim ala Yarden. As soon as the Koyhanim put their feet in the Yarden, the Yarden split. So that's very interesting. So Moshe Rabbeinu had a hard time splitting the sea, and Yehoshua ben Nun had an easy time splitting the sea. How could we account for the fact that the Rebbe had a harder time than the Talmud? The Talmud comes to the Yarden, and the Kohanim dip their toe into the Yarden, and the Yarden splits. And Moshe Rabbeinu, he's pulling out Kavachoymers, and the Oren of Yosef, and uh, you have Tzadikim doing head flips into the Amsuf, and they can't do it until the water's up their nose. So the simple answer would be, we just said, Moshe Rabbeinu split the sea before the Torah was given. Before the Torah was given, it's hard to split the sea. Yeshua ben is after the... But who had an easier time splitting the sea? Yeshua ben Nun or Pinchas ben Yair? Pinchas ben Yair. Because Pinchas ben Yair, he, he split it three times. And he split it for Bob. And he split it for Mohammed. And Yeshua ben Nun did it for 600,000 Jews with the Aroin and all the Kaihanim. And what we're about to demonstrate is a very bizarre and unusual phenomenon that while miracles in Nevi'im and Ksuvim are few and far in between, miracles in the Gemara happened every Monday and Thursday. 
Miracles in the Gemara were like, you know, apple juice every day. It's like, you know, and it wasn't even a big deal. And yet miracles in Tanakh were like, a, like a, were not that common. Let me give you an example. Tchiyas HaMesim, the resurrection of the dead. How many times did Avram Avinu ever bring somebody back to life? You know, when Avram Avinu got the news, Avram Avinu got, you know, your wife, Sarah, she passed away. So why didn't Avram Avinu go and say, uh, hey Sarah, wake up, get up already. You're only 127, I'm going to live another, you know, to 175. Get up, no, get up. Why didn't Avram bring Sarah back to life? And when Yaakov Avinu died in Mitzrayim, why didn't Yosef say, hey Jacob, get up. How many instances of the resurrection of the dead do we find in the five books of Moses? Zero. How about in Nevi'im and Ksuvim? Anybody know? Like two or three. Who did it? Did, was Yechezkel able to do it? No. Was Yeshai able to do it? No. Was Yeshua able to do it? No. Only Eliyahu and Elisha. And it was very hard for them. First of all, they had to close the door. Second of all, Eliyahu and Novi had to like do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on the guy, and it was a very and the, the kid was coughing after. It was not a Pashat operation over there. And yet, if you look in the pages of the Gemara, Avedizara, Dafyud Amadbez, Antoninus said to Rebbe, I know you guys, the smallest guy among you could resurrect the dead. Or the story of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was giving shir, and there's a guy in the back row in right field, he was snickering, and Rabbi Yochanan thought he was laughing at him. So Rabbi Yochanan was a very handsome man, and he lifted up his long eyelashes, and the guy was smirking. So Rabbi Yochanan gave him a bad look, and the guy dropped dead. You know, in, the, in times of the Gemara, the rabbi gives you a, a bad look, you disintegrate, you turn to a pile of bones. So they said, Rebbe, he wasn't laughing at you. He was laughing at some joke a guy whispered to him. Oh, Azoi, really? Okay, get up. And the guy came back to life. Why didn't he have to close the door and do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation like Elio Novi? Or you know the story? Reb Chananya ben Chachinai went to learn. His wife said, how long are you going to learn for? He said, until I'm ready. So he came back like a decade later, and he found her right on the couch where he left her dead. So he said, get up. Come on, come on. Who's going to, you know? Shabbos is coming too, somebody has to cook. And he just woke her up. I don't understand. Avram Avinu didn't wake up anybody. No one in the Chumash could wake up anybody. Elio and Elisha had a hard time doing it. And Reb Hanani ben Hanani just said, you know, you know, uh, I've missed you so much. Let's go, get up. Let's talk about the rain. How many people stopped the rain in the Chumash? None. How many people made it rain in the Chumash? None. How about in Tanakh? Elio Novi had to do these like contortions and he had to make negotiations with God. God, you know, you gave me the key of resurrection, now I need the key of rain. So God said, okay, um, uh, Elio had the key of rain, he, he made a klala that it's not going to rain, so God said, well then you can't resurrect the dead. Elio said, I need to resurrect the dead, so Elio had to give back the key of rain. It was all kinds of negotiations. So Elio had a difficult time starting and stopping the rain. And yet the Gemara and Tainus says on Chesam and Beis, that Amimar said, if it would be up to me, I would abolish rain, period. I would, not I would bring a famine or I would make it rain. I would abolish the concept of rain. What do you mean you would abolish the concept? Who are you to abolish the concept of rain? 
How about this? Do you remember the story? Of Hanani Mishal Vazariah. So they throw these three tzaddikim into the fire. <gasps> they weren't burned by the fire. And the Gemara in Sanhedrin says, How come we don't hear about them in Tanakh after that episode? And the Gemara says it was so astounding, it was so startling, that uh, it was so much of an Ein Hara, they had to run away. They couldn't live with Kla anymore. Really? It's such a big deal that they were saved from fire? What about Marukva and his wife? You know, Marukva and his wife, they used to give tzedakah, the seser. And then one time the Oni got wind, it was Marukva. So the Oni started running after them to see who, who it was. So what did they do? They jumped in the oven. I mean, where else are you going to run to hide from an Oni? They jumped in the oven. And the Gemara says it wasn't a big deal. That's, you know, like, that's like a typical thing. When Aniim are trying to find out who you are, so you jump in an oven. What do you mean? Hanani Mishav is like the biggest deal in the world. Well, what about Reb Zeira? What does the Gemara say in Baba Metziah? Reb Zeira went into the oven every 30 days because he wanted to see if he, if he would have to go to Gehenna if the fire would have Shlita over him. So Reb Zeira, on his own, jumped into ovens every 30 days and yet from Hanani Mishav it was the biggest deal in the world. Ooh, the story of da- Daniel and the lions. Then that's you know I like that story. You, you ever hear that story, Daniel and the lions? Then what's the big deal about Daniel and the lions? Then Reb Chanina ben Doisa, when there was a scorpion, he would just play with it. He'd put his foot on the hole because he knew that he he was impervious to snakes. So I have one simple question: Why in the times of the Nevi'im? Were miracles so unusual, were so supernatural, it was such a big deal, so few and far in between, and yet the pages of Shas are Mole Vigodash. They were resurrecting the day like it's going resurrecting the dead like it's going out of style. They were starting and stopping the rain like you flick a light switch. They were playing with wild animals. So you see, maybe they were greater. Maybe the Tanoim and Amaram were greater than the Nevi'im. And we know that is certainly not the case. We have many, many sources that there's a concept of Yuridas Hadoirois, that as the generations progress, and as we move away from Har Sinai, we become lower. The Gemara and Shabbos, Kuf Yud Beis, Im Rishonim B'nei Malachim, Anu B'nei Adam, Im Rishonim B'nei Adam, Anu K'chamoyrim, V'loi K'chamoyrim Shalpinchas Ben Yoyer. Or the Gemara says, the hearts of the Rishonim were open like the Heichal. And our hearts are open like a needle. Or the Gemara in Yuma says, better the fingernail of the Rishonim than the stomachs of the later generation. The fingernail is the most unimportant part of the body. It's expendable, you cut it off. The stomach is the critical part of the body. All the internal organs are in the stomach. Better the fingernail of the earlier generations than the internal organs of the later generation. So then how can it be that you look through the pages of Shas and they had absolute control over nature? One of my uh, favorite Gemaras, the Gemara of uh, Rabbi Yitzchak ben Yashiv. The Gemara says that a Talmud of Rabbi Yitzchak ben Yashiv came, you know, Rabbi, I can't take it anymore. My rich brother-in-laws, they're driving me crazy. They're boasting over me. They're very haughty. They're very arrogant. I can't take it. So the Rebbe said, what's their name? Yankel, Beryl. Okay, they should become poor. And they became poor. 
So then the next day he came back, Rebbe, they're so poor, they're borrowing money from me, they're taking my stuff. So the Rebbe said, okay, they should become rich. And they became rich. Then the guy goes to the Rebbe, he said, Rebbe, my wife, she was beautiful when I married her, but 30 years later, she doesn't look the same that she looked in the wedding pictures. So the Rebbe said, what's her name? Her name is Chana. Chana Tisyapi, Chana should be beautiful. And he came home and she was... She was gorgeous again. He comes back to the Rebbe the next day. He said, now my wife is so beautiful, she needs my credit card to go shopping all day. Can't take it anymore. So he said, she should look plain again. By the way, you see a very important limit from this Gemara. People think, oh, if they would be in this circumstance, and that circumstance, life would be better. No. Life would be worse. <laughs> if you had more money, less money, more pleasure, less... The Yibam gives every individual the best possible life circumstance because if it would be, you think it would be better, the Yibam knows whatever circumstance you're in, that's the perfect circumstance. But anyway, think about what the Gemara is saying. This Amoira could change a person's financial situation on a dime. He could change the way the person's wife looked by snapping his fingers. You ever hear anything like that in the Chumash? You ever read anything like that in the Nevi'im? Where anybody had such control over the Bria? This is the question of Reb Shloima El Yashiv, the Baal HaLeshem, grandfather of Yosef Shloima El Yashiv, the Baal HaLeshem, is one of the all-time great Mekubalim. He is considered the expert of the Vilna Goyen's understanding of the Kabbalah of the Arizal. Chavetz Chaim would say about the Baal HaLeshem, get a glimpse at him in this world, because when you get upstairs, he's going to be so far away and so, such a brilliant light that it will be impossible to comprehend. The Rabbi Shloim El Yashif. By the way, he was paralyzed in his arm. And supernaturally, when he was writing his Sifrei Kabbalah, his arm was able to move at a lightning speed. Towards the end of his life, he actually dictated much of the Sefer HaLashem to Rebel Yashiv, to his grandson. In any event, now, interestingly, Rebel Yashiv inherited his Shas, and he gave his Shas to his son-in-law, Reb Chaim Knievsky. Reb Chaim Knievsky learned Shas from, learned, learned from the Shas of uh, the Baal HaLashem. Anyway, the Baal HaLashem advances the, the following incredible principle, a wondrous principle, this is uh, found in uh, the Sefer Leshem Shavai Ve'achlama Klole Hispashtos Veschalkos. And even though much of the, the Leshem's farm, if not all of it, is completely inexplicable, there are like a few pages that, I don't know why, he just speaks openly, Derech Nigla, and uh, you have it here on the sheet. And he says the following, based on what we've been learning so far, that the control of the universe really is part and parcel with the Torah itself. That those who master the Torah, those who know the Torah, those who live by the Torah are given, are imbued with control over the universe. That means then, that if there should ever be a period in history where the Yvonne should choose to give the Jewish people an unprecedented influx of Yediyas HaTorah, that would come along with an unprecedented ability to control creation. Says the Baal HaLashem, 
even though we don't know why, and even though we can't explain why HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose a particular era in Jewish history to be mashpia Torah on Klal Yisrael, one thing we know for sure, towards, in the times of the second Beis HaMikdash, and towards the end of the second Beis HaMikdash, and after the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash, the Rebbein Shalom, because he saw that the Golos was impending, and that Klal Yisrael would not be able to last in the Golos without a great explosion of Tarsha Peh, the Yibar Shalom chose the Tanoim, the Anshe Knesset HaGdoila, the Tanoim and Amaron, to endow them with an explosion of Yediyas HaTorah, an explosion of understanding of the Torah, an explosion of expanding the principles of Torah based on Yudgimel Midosh HaTorah and Rashi Asbahem. So let's say in the times of the Nevi'im, we had Tarsha Bechsav and a very clear-cut Tarsha Bapeh. In other words, Hashem gave over to Kla Yisrael a written law and the written Nevi'im, and whatever we needed to do, the tradition was absolutely crystal clear. Put on the tefillin this way, sit in the sukkah this way, the mitzvahs performed this way, and there was no ambiguity, there was no darkness, there was no haziness. The mitzvahs and the Tarsha was absolutely clear. But because of, and I'm explaining it now, I, was, I once gave the shir at a program, and I figured, okay, you know, it's always good to speak about the Leshem, because nobody knows anything about it, so, you know, you say what you think it says, and, and nobody ever saw it before, but I, I started getting very nervous in the middle of the shir, because I saw somebody shaking his head who looked very familiar, very frighteningly familiar with this Leshem, and it was Rabbi Akiva Tatz. And then I realized that he had just written a book on this Leshem. He wrote an entire book on this Leshem. I think it's called, called As Dawn Ends the Night. And I'm saying, uh-oh, this is the wrong crowd to be giving this shir for. And I knew as soon as the shir was over, he's going to come over. And he told me that in his book, he writes that this principle of the Leshem explains 20 different phenomenon in Shas and Tanakh. And he told Ramosha Shapiro, and Ramosha Shapiro said, 20? 200. This is the central principle of understanding the difference between the era of Nevi'im Ksuvim and Tanam and Amaram. And I'm explaining it now with the insight uh, that, that he shared at that time. Namely, in times of the Nevi'im and Ksuvim, the Rebbeinu's presence was crystal clear. It was a time of light. It was a time that Hashem was with the people. And because of that, Hashem says, I'm with you, I control the world, so if you need things to change, I'm here, I'm ready. I'm ready that if you need me, I'm ready to change things. But the Rebbeinu was with us. But in the times of the second Beis HaMikdash and the Tanah Ma'amaram, it was a time of Choshech. And the Yibam so to speak, is fading out of, of the lives of the Jewish people in this, uh, comparatively to what was. And therefore Hashem had to say, I'm taking a, I'm stepping back, I'm retreating, so to speak. Therefore, it's going to be a time of darkness. I have to give over to you the tools needed for you to perceive clarity in the darkness. And I'm going to allow an explosion of Torah. And through the Yud Gimel Midosh Atarnad Rashas Behem, 
Rabbi Akiva and Rav Meir and Rav Gamliel and all the Tanam were given the divine tools to expand the Torah. These divine tools are called Yegimel Midah Shatan and Rashasman. And then through Pilpal and through the process of Talmud Bavli, it was Nimsar to Klal Yisrael, the oral law of Tashbah, in an unprecedented way because we were becoming distant from Hashem. And through this giving over the tools of Tarshabal Peh came along with it an unprecedented control over the laws of the universe. And now, says the Baal Hashem, we can understand how the Gemara in Yuma tells us that the Anshi Knesset Doila said, Oh, wow. Remember the Anshi Knesset Doila, they dive into Hashem to abolish the, the Yetzahara for Avodizara. Right? It used to be. People used to say, uh, the, the Gemara tells a story about somebody would say, ah, oh, why did they used to serve Abba Dezara? so empty, it's so ridiculous. And Menashe said, if you would be in my times, you'd be running after Abba like with gusto and with, with taiva. There was a big taiva for Abba Dezara. And Anshe Knesset Hagdoila Davin to abolish the desire for Abba Dezara. And were their tefillahs answered? Yes. And then they went ahead and they said, Hey God, while we're at it, let's abolish the Yitzhahar altogether. Ask the Lashem, why didn't anybody else before the Anshin have this bright idea? Why didn't Avram Avinu, when he saw Terach, Terach had an idol store with, with big size idols, little size idols, six arms, eight arms, elephant idols, all kinds of Avadizara. Why didn't Avram Avinu daven? God abolished desire for Avadizara. Says about Lashem because nobody would have the audacity to ask God for such a thing to outright change the laws of nature. Nobody would have the chutzpah to be misbelled. But in the times of Anshikazo, where they saw that God was giving them absolute control over the Bria, so they figured, you know, while we're at it, let's just get rid of Avodazara. Says about Lashem, this explains another interesting phenomenon. The Gemara tells us, and we passed the Ramban Paskins this way. Kidsha Rishayna, the sanctity of Eretz Yisrael that was endowed through Yeshua Benun, Kidsha Lashayta, Veloi Kidsha Lasadlavai. Yeshua Benun sanctified Eretz Yisrael, and then we were thrown out of Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael was no longer sanctified. It was like Brooklyn. People think Brooklyn has Kedusha. No. But Eretz Yisrael also did not have Kedusha after we were thrown out of the land. Kitcha Rishonah, Kitcha Shaita, Veloi, Kitcha Lasilavai. Comes Ezra. Ezra sanctifies Eretz Yisrael and we're thrown out of Eretz Yisrael. And Ad Hayoim, Eretz Yisrael has Kedusha. Why? Kitcha Shnia, Kitcha Lashaita, Vikitcha Lasilavai. Who's greater, Yeshua Benun or Ezra? Avada Yeshua Benun. Sam Seifer says, Yeshua Benun knew the 50th Shar of Bina. You know, it's a big machlokes. Arizal and Gura. Did Moshe Rabbeinu know the fiftieth shar of Bina? The Gemara says Chamishim Sharm Nivru Ba'Elam Kulam Nitna LeMoshe Chaser Achas. There are fifty gate- gateways of wisdom. They're all given to Moshe Rabbeinu except for one. Shenemra Bat Chaser Me'Amelikim. But Arizal says that a Harsinai Moshe was given the fiftieth, and Chassam Soifer says that's why he was called Yeshua, not Ben Nun, Bin Nun. He was Misbeinein. He was he contemplated the Shar Nun. So Yeshua is greater than Ezra. So how could it be that when Yeshua sanctified Eretz Yisrael, it, it, by the time it was all said and done, it was like Williamsburg, it was not, it was not Kaddish. And Ezra sanctified it as Kaddish for 2,000 years. The answer is because Ezra lived in the times of the Bayesheni. Times of the Bayesheni, 
That was the time when Hashem gave over the methodology of transmitting the Torah and expanding the Torah in an unprecedented way, and therefore Ezra was given more control over the universe than Yoshua Benon. Says about Hashem, when we don't know why God chose a specific era to give over this, this uh, proliferation of Torah. He says, uh, probably because Hashem saw that we were going into the Golos and we needed this infusion of, of Torah to last us through the very dark and bitter Golos. But along with the giving of the Torah to the Anshin Knesset to the Tanam and Amram, came an unprecedented control over the universe. I would humbly add, there's another era in world history, where it seems like the Chachme Yisrael were given also unparalleled, miraculous, supernatural ability. If you ever read some of the stories of 16th century Tzvas in the times of the Arizal, and Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, and Rabbi Chaim Vital, and all the contemporary, um, contemporaries of the Arizal, the Mabit, Rabbi Moshe Mitrani, and the Rishis Chachma, what? Shlom Al-Kabetz. and the Rebbe Lezer Azkiri, and all the Chachmei Tzvas. I mean, the Arizal could, you know, whatever the Gemara say that the Amaram could do, the Arizal, you know, ten times over. And sometimes you wonder, you know, really? Is that possible? Could that have been? Is that, is that accurate? Is it a... But it could be that we know during that era, Hashem chose that era to give over a certain chilek of Torah that was never before disseminated or revealed and never again. Now we don't know why Hashem chose 16th century Tzfas, but we know those are the facts. That's when the Kabbalah was revealed in the, in the cities, of, in the streets of Tzfas by the Ari and Rabbi Yosef Karo with the Magid. And along with an expansion of Torah comes an expanded ability to control the universe. And if there is a sage sitting in B'nai Brak, who before his bar mitzvah could write a massive work on the laws of Egla Arufa, and who could write a perush on the Sefer Habohir and the Sefer Azil HaMelech, and makes a siyam on Kola Torah Kula every single year, and had Kola Torah Kula on his fingertips in an unprecedented way, where his uncle, the Chazoynish, said he was like the Ragachaber then if he doesn't know about a particular species of a chagav, that, gra- that locust will fly in from the window. Hey, well, well, what's going on? Could Avram Avinu do that? Could Avram Avinu learn the laws of uh, chagavim and then some random grasshopper is going to fly in through the window? Maybe not. But Reb Chaim Kenevsky could. Because along with this caliber of knowledge of Torah, comes an unprecedented tzaddik goizer v'ashem mekayim. Doesn't mean he's greater than Avram Avinu, chas v'shalem. Avram Avinu, milanu gadol. But Avram Avinu lived before the Torah was given. And even though Avram Avinu learned Torah, but it wasn't given to him. And if it wasn't given to him, the controls are still upstairs. And it's vayal, vayal, so even those, there were the, the uh, Avais learned Torah, the Torah still belonged in Shamayim. 
But today the Torah is Ba'aretz. Now, very rarely today will we have somebody who is able to have that caliber of mastery of the Torah. But I think the most important limud is, number one, this gives us a more systematic understanding of the era of Chumash, as opposed to Vim Ksuvim, as opposed to Tanom and Amram. So there are three main eras in history of Nisim. Pre-Taira, after the Torah was given, and after the Torah Shabbat Peh exploded in the times of Bayesheni. But even more important than that is the perspective we, ha- we have to have on world events and what takes place in the world in general. And that is, of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu controls everything that transpires. But we have, we have Emuna that the method with which the Rebbe controls the world is Al Yadenu, is through us. If we do what we need to, to do, we empower God. And if we don't do what we need to do, we, so to speak, weaken Hashem's Hashkacha in this world. And when things happen in the world, the question is not, Ma Asa Aleikim Lanu, Ma Asa Asinu, that we compelled Hashem to do that. So, that's the seventh day of Pesach, Kriyas Yamsuf. But once the Torah was given, this is something that has happened in the times of Shobinun, has happened in the times of Pinchas ben Yoyer, and Ad Hayoim, the Chachme Yisrael, continue to hold on to those keys of the universe. Thank you very much for listening. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.